Good morning, Sherwood family. It's again an incredible joy to uh, join you this morning and our worship and praise. Thank you, Mark. And, and then to have the privilege now of opening the Word of God in these next few moments. And I cannot tell you how excited I am about this message. Uh, the Lord has been speaking to my heart over these last several weeks about this one message. And I can, I can hardly wait to deliver this message to you. Um, now, as you're turning to Philippians chapter 4, that's Philippians chapter 4, let me, um, let me remind you, today, of course, is, uh, is Valentine's Day. So all of you husbands in the congregation here, turn to your wife, just whisper in her ear, I know you think I forgot Valentine's Day, but I really didn't. I have a really important, wonderful, and expensive gift for you that's coming later on this week. Trust me on that. And uh, I think your wives would be just blessed to hear that from you <laughs> this morning. By the way, I know you're praying for Michael and Terry as uh, I have the privilege from of visiting with them from time to time. I cannot tell you how much they love you. Uh, I get to know a lot of pastors and I get to be in a lot of churches and I've never been uh, in a church or around a pastor where there was such a great love affair as there is between the Cats and Sherwood Baptist Church. Thank you for loving on them and for praying on them at uh, this time in their life. These are, these are tough times, aren't they? I told Diana the other day, I'm anxious to get to Sherwood in the flesh. I need a Sherwood hug. And uh, we had our last COVID shot just a few days ago, and we're pedaling as fast as we can. We get through that, and we'll be down there and uh, have a few Sundays together, and I'm really looking forward to that. All right, your Bible is open to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And uh, as we look at these, <laughs> these verses, I, I, I have arrange them so that we could remember a sequence, and you'll understand the sequence a little bit better this morning. Notice in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's the first word is rejoice, and we saw that that's a way to establish our go on record with the fact that we're trusting God, that he's in control, and we're going to live our lives with joy. The second word was the word reflect. Look at verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And we're not talking about reflecting as in a mirror, however. We're talking about asking deep questions, reflecting on what's, what is our assignment and our audience and who's our ally in this. The Lord is in the room, the Apostle Paul says. He is near. And then verse 6, we looked at that last week. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And so there is the word request, request. And then it's followed by this word, receive, receive. And we're going to see how as we request, make our request of God, he begins to give us this peace which surpasses all comprehension. We, we maintain our course in life with, with peace in Christ. I, um, I was blessed as a young man growing up with um, uh, wonderful, godly uh, grandparents as well as parents and, 
And, but my, my, my grandparents on both sides, my mother and father's side, were both such godly people. My, my mother's dad and mom, their dad was a, was a farmer and a county judge and a godly man. He and his wife raised 11 really great children, not a cull in the bunch, we used to say. And then on my, um, on my father's side, my grandmother and granddad um, were especially close to, to their grandchildren. I remember when I was uh, 16 years of age and probably creating all kinds of problems, I, I do remember that the one thing I wanted to do most of the time was just stay behind the wheel of a car since I'd gotten my license on my 16th birthday. And you cannot imagine how excited I was when my granddad called up. We were living in Kansas City, Missouri, and he said, Tommy, he said, uh, uh, your grandmother and I want to go on a road trip. We want to go down through Texas and over into New Mexico and Arizona, and we want to see Grand Canyon and Carlsbad Cavern. And we, Anyway, I think I need a driver. How about, oh, man, I jumped on that like a duck on a June bug. And so for three weeks with my grandmother seated in the back seat and my granddad and I in the front seat, uh, I drove that 1957 Plymouth and had more fun than shooting rats at the city dump. But what I did during that time was hear my grandparents talk about God's way with them. And at the close of the message this morning, I want to tell you about an event that occurred in their house when I was a college freshman that radically changed my life, and it directly relates to the message this morning. The theme, Steady in the Storm. The message title this morning, Receive, Receive. And we're talking about receiving the kind of peace in our life that only God can provide. Now, notice what the scripture says here. The Apostle Paul said, if you'll just follow the sequence here, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will literally guard your hearts and your minds, in other words, everything you think, everything you feel, in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't you like to know that this morning? Well, you can. You can. Why in the world do we meet and preach the word unless it's a possibility? You can. And so I've, I've done everything I can to make this passage of Scripture as simple for us because it is simple. These are simple truths. God doesn't intend for us to be so confounded that we never get around to understanding. He wants us to know the truth. And so you'll see there in your outline, I, I've given us three words. And, and the first word there is uh, a very simple, and that is, that is, this is, this is God's, God's peace. And so let's take just a few moments to look at God's peace. He says here, the peace of God. I want to make two observations, just, just rather hurriedly here, uh, not because they're not important, but because I want us to see this entire text in the few minutes we have left. But the first thing I want you to understand is that God's peace is an actual fact. As a matter of fact, I'm not so sure, but what the, the primary, we talk about the righteousness of God, but I'm not so sure, but what the primary um, characteristic of God is peace. Everything about him 
is peace. There is absolutely no conflict. There's, there's no argument in the Trinity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's, there's absolute cohesion in everything that God does and everything that God desires is absolutely right. Uh, Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. And so peace is, a, is an actual fact. This really does exist. Jesus says, I don't give you peace as the world gives you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't, don't, don't be afraid, but I have peace for you. And it may not be the peace of undisturbed calm, but it's peace even in the midst of the storm. I have peace for you. He's called, as I said, the Prince of Peace. And from the day that Adam and Eve sinned and brought this world into the chaos and curse of sin, God has been waging peace. And, and Jesus, the Prince of Peace, died on the cross so that we might have peace with God by having our sins paid for on the cross and having his life, his resurrected life within us. And one day as the Prince of Peace, he will establish rule over all the universe and we see that, that all that he has right now is moving us toward peace. And we, we sometimes talk, sing that song, Let There Be Peace on Earth, but this world is anything but a peaceful place, and it's moving into greater and greater chaos and conflict, and will do so until Christ brings it, all of that, to a glorious end. Deals with sin in the center deals with Satan, and establishes peace over all of his creation. Peace is an actual fact. But here's, here's what I want you to see. God, peace is not just some characteristic that leaves God uh, sitting someplace observing all this with his arms folded, and he's perfectly at peace. He's undisturbed, but he's watching everybody else go through all the troubles and tumult of, of this earth. He's not detached from you. God's peace is active. He is actually doing something with that peace. And you'll notice here, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's, it's, a, it's an account so vast you'll never overdraw it, and it's so vast you'll never understand it. This is God's peace. It's beyond all comprehension. But he says, we'll keep our guard uh, your hearts and your minds. Now, now, what in the world does that mean? Well, it speaks about the fact that God is actively waging peace, as I said a few moments ago. It's an active force. Uh, this word guard is very interesting. It, it, it perhaps would be better translated to, to garrison. And a garrison, as you know, a garrison of soldiers are not soldiers whose mission is to go out and find the enemy to, to seek and to destroy. That's not, the, that's not the purpose of a garrison. A garrison, as you know, is stationed around the perimeter of a specific location, whether it's a house or a camp or a base. But the purpose of that garrison is to be like a sentinel. Some of you may even have the word sentinel in the translation of your scripture there. And so he is saying here that the peace of God is actively establishing this garrison around your heart and mind. We will know, we're going to see in a little bit what this means, we'll know when we decide to step out 
and, and to live on our own without remaining where we ought to in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm not saying that you become lost again, but we lose peace when as believers in Christ, we do it our way and not God's way. And we're going to see that in just a few moments. But what I'd like for you to see right now is that the peace of God is an actual fact. It is the great characteristic of God. Everything operates at peace and in cohesion. And that it's an actual, actual fact that is working actively. It's an active force. He's doing something with this peace in your life. He's, he's, he's pushing us up to the heart of God. And you're going to see that in the scripture this morning. So, first of all, the peace of God. Secondly, I want you to look with me for a few moments at the purpose of God. The purpose of God. Now, I need you to put on your thinking cap for just a few moments, and we're going to look at two amazing truths about the Christian life, if you can say this morning, I know and I know that I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. Now, not everybody can say that. Not every church person can say that because going to church does not make this a reality. Uh, you cannot work or educate yourself into eternal life. It requires repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you look back in your life and you say, that has been my experience. In fact, I can look back to a moment when I trusted in Jesus, repenting of my sins and, and, and trusting in him and what he did on the cross to pay for my sins and his resurrected life to be my life. Well, there are two phrases in the New Testament that describe that event. The first is this, and that is that if you truly know Christ, if you're truly born again, Christ has come to dwell in you. Christ is in you. His life is within you. Jesus described this by using the term born again. He used physical birth as a picture of that. Uh, sometimes you look at uh, children and you say, you know, she has her mother's eyes, or he has his father's hands, or, or man, his father's mannerisms, or he plays ball like his father did, or she is gracious like, like her mother, mother is. And what happens when we receive Christ is that Jesus literally comes to live within us. And so we use terms like, I, I invited Jesus into my heart, or receive Christ. Jesus said, or John said, as many as receive Jesus. He's talking about uh, conversion here in John 1.12. But to as many as received him, to them also he gave eternal life. So Christ is in you. Paul, writing to the believers in Colossae, in Colossians 1.27, says, it is Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. Christ has come. You have his DNA in your life. You are born again as a child of God. That's an amazing reality 
Think about it. And I want you to know that all of Jesus is in you. You can't get, if you're born again, you can't get any more Jesus. Now he can get some more of you. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but you can't get any more Jesus than what you have in your life. And when God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus. In fact, the scripture says you're accepted in the beloved. And so he is in you. Christ is in you. That is a sovereign reality because God does it all. You don't do that. You, you don't have the capacity to do that. But if you're truly a Christian, Christ is in you. That's a sovereign reality. But if you are a Christian, there's a second truth here, and that is that you are in Christ. That's what I want to call a, a spiritual reality. You are in him. And uh, uh, the scripture uses the analogy here of marriage sometimes to help us understand that. And uh, of course, Jesus is referred to as the groom. The church is referred to as the bride. And uh, if you're standing there at a marriage altar, and uh, the groom says, I do to the bride, and the bride says, I do to the groom, then the family of the groom says, welcome home. Not, not because of the way you look or what you own, but because you are married to our son. Again, that word accepted in the beloved. But you, from that moment on, are in him. Now, how does that uh, how does that relate to what the scripture is saying? When people see you, they say, well, we give her all the rights that we would give him. She is entitled to everything her husband owns. In fact, he stands there at the marriage altar and he says, all my worldly goods, I thee endow. I don't know if they say that much anymore. But the bottom line is that, that as Christ bride, all the rights and privileges which Christ has, we have as his bride. We are in Christ Jesus. That's a spiritual reality. Christ is in us. We are in him. I have a hard time sometimes describing uh, this to people, but... Uh, I'll tell you the best, a good description of this reality. Um, I saw in my middle desk drawer years ago, somebody handed me a magnet. It was the most powerful magnet. Somebody at church, I mean, literally, a guy came up to me and handed me a, uh, a magnet. And uh, in fact, for a while, I wondered where I got it. I thought maybe I'd gotten it out of my granddad's shop. He had something like that. But this, at any rate, somebody handed me this, this magnet. I'm, I didn't have any idea when he handed it to me. He said, you'll enjoy that. And I thought, I've never thought about enjoying a magnet. But anyway, I took it to, to my desk there at the church, and I just chunked it into my, the middle drawer, you know. And um, when I opened the drawer the next day, I could not. I couldn't believe what I saw. Everything in that drawer, it seemed, that was attractable and of the right kind of metal had been pulled to that magnet. Man, it was indeed a powerful magnet. I mean, it, it was just a hunk of metal. I mean, there were even some ballpoint pens and, and 
Yeah, paper clips, everything. There was just a hunk of metal all around that magnet. And I noticed something that, that they were all attracted to it. They're as close as they could get to it. And it took a little effort to pull it apart. But I discovered also that when I, when the, I took those tacks and those paper, all that stuff that was took to that magnet, I discovered that they also had in them the nature of that magnet. They had become magnets themselves. And somehow they'd rearranged the atomic structure of that, um, of that metal. And now it had become a magnet itself. It had attractive power. Well, <clears throat> there is that kind of relationship that we have with Christ. First, a sovereign reality. We are people who have Christ in us. He lives in us. But then there is this spiritual reality, and that is that we are in him. We, we don't want to do anything at all that would disappoint or, or uh, in, in any way bring shame to him or, or in any way diminish our ability to walk in fellowship with him. And that's, that's what God is doing when the Bible says the peace of God will garrison your hearts in Christ Jesus. He establishes this garrison around our heart. And the moment we step out of that as a believer in Christ, and you've done it and I've done it, we, we know this is God's plan, this is his will, and sometimes we do it deliberately, sometimes we do it carelessly or casually, sometimes we become so spiritually dull that we just live that way and we start to accept, but God lets us know by taking away his peace. Suddenly, we don't have that garrison of peace around her. We have strayed. Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son. I remind you, the son was the son of the father wherever he was. He was called the prodigal son even when he was a prodigal. He was the son of the father. And we are God's children. If we've trusted Christ, we are God's children. His, he is in us. His spiritual DNA is in us. But one day that son, you remember, decided, I don't want to, I don't like to live here and to be what you want me to be and to do what you're wanting me to do. And you know the story. He left. And what did he lose when he left? He left not only his father's provision and protection, he lost his father's peace. Till finally he came and said, you know, in my father's house, this is the way it is. There's bread enough to say, I'm perishing. He said, I'm going to go home and say to my father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And his dad said, you can't say that because you didn't get to be my son by being worthy. And he said to the servants, this my son who was lost is now found. Not a picture of a lost person coming to Christ. It's a picture of a saved person coming back to that place of peace. And I'm speaking this morning to some of you who are out of that. You have stepped over God's garrison of peace. You've slipped out into the world. The things you're doing, the things you're thinking, or the things you're not doing and the things you're not thinking about are all in direct contradiction to the will of God. You have lost your peace with God. So how do you resolve that? I mean, God wants people to look at your life 
And he wants to see this sovereign reality that Christ is in you. He wants others to see this spiritual reality that you are in Christ and they, they look at you. He wants them to see Jesus through the lens of your life. You go to an optometrist or an ophthalmologist and they put you on that little machine. They say, how is this better or that better? Is this good or that good? They keep throwing these lens back and, and God wants people to look through your life and to say, boy, that's a clear picture of Jesus. I really see Jesus in his life or her life. And one of the way God keeps you shut up to him, hemmed up to him is with this garrison of peace. You know, if you have it seated right here this morning, you know, whether there is peace in your heart about your relationship with Christ or you know whether there is not peace. And God is nudging you by his Holy Spirit and convicting you of sin that you need to repent of and return home just like the prodigal did. Well, that brings us to this last day. What is my part then? What is, what is my part? What, what can I do? Let's suppose, Brother Tom, uh, what can I do to, uh, to make this right? I, I want what... The scripture is talking about. I want that peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I want it to be a garrison. around. I want to look out the, the window of my life and see that peace right there surrounding me in, in every direction. I, I want to come home. I want to live in that kind of fellowship with the Lord. What's my part? That's the last thing we're going to look at. Well, you have your Bible in hand. Let's, let's just look just for a moment at this verse. Notice as verse 7 begins here, it says, and the peace of God. Now that, that little Greek word chi, I, you know, is it, a very interesting word. It can mean but or, or and. And here it means and. So that means it is attached to the verse before. And what is the verse before about? The verse before is about prayer. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. So here we go. We looked at it last week. By prayer, make your case. I mean, as clearly as you can. And supplication. Beg for mercy on the basis of Jesus' shed blood on the cross of Calvary, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, very close to rejoice, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And when you do that, think of it, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's all about prayer. It's all about prayer. Now, I know, as I speak to our Sherwood family here, I know that a hallmark of uh, Sherwood is its ministry of prayer. I wish more people were involved in the ministry of prayer at Sherwood. I could tell you personal experiences, if time permitted, when I believe the Lord has stepped into my life and has changed circumstances because back here, back home here in Sherwood, there were people who were praying faithfully for me, for my wife, for my children. 
I know that to be a fact. So when I talk about prayer here this morning, I realize sometimes I'm preaching to the choir, but as many people as are involved in prayer, there need to be more. And prayer is not just nodding your head and believing that prayer is important. It's not just mentally assenting to the reality of prayer and, and how it works. It's not endorsing prayer. I'm for that. Well, of course you are. I mean, you'd be a ridiculous person if you, if you were not for it. But as far as God's concerned, the way you register that you are for prayer is that you pray. And I just want to tell you this, and it's why it, it, it all goes back to why I believe God led me, first of all, to develop this series. I've never preached it before. I'm not through. There's two more messages but, but, uh, in this series. But, but it's because this is urgent upon us. We live in this world that is so fraught with all kinds of distractions and anxieties, and we need to be the lens through which people see Jesus Christ clearly, more clearly than any place else. How can we do that? Well, not by walking around saying, boy, I'm worried about this. I'm upset about this. I don't know what I'm going to do about that. Oh, this is out of control. This is a, not, people don't see Jesus in that. They want to see everything about Jesus, but especially the fact that Jesus can bring peace to them, to their hearts, to their life, to their world, in spite of everything else that's happening, all the storms that they're going through, and you name the arena. So how do you get there? How do you get to the point where the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus? How do you get there? By prayer in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and when you pray first of all it registers your invitation you're inviting the lord to bring peace to this you're saying i i can't i don't have it and i need it and you're registering your invitation to the lord to step up into this brother manley beasley used to say that uh, every problem you have is a call to worship and you need to bow your head and worship the Lord and pray and say, Lord, I need you and your peace in this situation, in my heart, my life, my world. Secondly, prayer registers my intention to live for Christ. I'm going to live for him. Lord, here's, as I bow before you, I repent, I return. I want to live for you. So there I was, a uh, college freshman, pastoring my very first church in a little town called Warren, Arkansas. A mission, actually. I was 18. But between Warren, Arkansas and Arkadelphia, where I went to college, was Fordyce, Arkansas, home of Bear Bryant, but more importantly, home of my granddaddy and grandmother. And on one particular troubled day, a Saturday, I would always drive down to the church on Saturday, spent the night with my other granddad who lived down there on the farm in Warren. I stopped by my granddaddy and grandmother Ellis because I knew 
I'd walk into an atmosphere of peace and love. And I did. And I sat in their house at a lunch table Saturday at noon and listened as my granddad prayed and then listened as my grandmother and granddad talked with one another afterwards about me, asking me questions and how could they pray for me. And without my knowing it at first, over the next hour, I began to sense an incredible peace in my heart. There was peace in their hearts, peace in their home. And that peace began to guard my heart. Again, that garrison of peace for this errant 18-year-old preacher was being reestablished. And before I got out of the driveway of my granddad and grandmother, I prayed that I'd never stray again from God's peace. I don't know that I've kept that like I should. He's had to erect that garrison of peace by his Holy Spirit and convict me so many times. But I'll tell you from that moment on, when I lose that sense of peace, I run to Jesus in prayer. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, reflect, request, and you will receive. Let's pray together. Father, I pray, trusting your Holy Spirit is at work in this place. How desperately we need peace. May we listen carefully to this invitation, Lord, as we are invited to experience that peace today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.